Hello and welcome to the Joint Public Issues Team, 10 Minutes On, a podcast marking the one-year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. With me today is Steve and I'm Dave. And Steve, one year ago we sat and made a podcast because Russia had invaded Ukraine. Where are we now? Well, I think we said at the time we didn't know how this was going to pan out. Um, uh, But I suggested that I think we had to be uh, in for the long haul on this, and very sadly that seems to be where we're at uh, at the moment. People will know some of the figures, 8 million people having fled the country, Um, 6 million additional people within Ukraine who have had to flee their homes and it's internally displaced, so you've got this movement from uh, east to west. We know a little less about the regions around Donbass and people going into Russia, Uh, but there's clearly a, a lot of strife there. Um, as well. People may not realise that people are still fleeing Ukraine at um, numbers of apparently 40,000 people a day uh, was the average for January for example. So uh, unfortunately uh, this crisis is not in any way slowing. We are seeing a larger and larger humanitarian impact. So uh, why, why are we still seeing this? I know we said it may it may be in the long uh, a long run. We might it might take a long time, but when when we think back to sanctions and we think back to you know the 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 sort of outcry from the international community, are, there, are sanctions not working? Are we what's what's going on? Sanctions have not had the effect that we had hoped yet. So there's a bit of dispute as to whether the sanctions on Russia are hurting the oligarchs more, or the ordinary people more. Certainly ordinary Russians are being impacted by sanction, but then at the same time, Russia is a wealthy nation and it has capacity to look after uh, its own. I think one of the reasons why we are seeing this war being a protracted conflict is because the lines in the conflict have favoured defence. And so you get these positions now being dug in. Another area of worry that we will always all be aware of is the greater uh, involvement of the West in the conflict um, and the greater commitment of President Putin. His presidency is now staked very much on the outcome of this conflict. So you've got defensive positions, but you've also got reputations at stake, which mean on both sides there is no option to but to escalate. And, and you talk about escalating. Um, I mean, people will have seen all the, um, the news reports about whether or not um, we, we supply arms, uh, tanks, uh, planes, uh, to Ukraine, uh, I mean, are we seeing the UK being drawn into a war with Russia? To a certain extent, yes, we are seeing that. We've got the promise of Challenger tanks. Um, we've got the question mark over whether the UK might provide jets uh, in the future. Um, of course, in terms of the defences, the Ukrainian who are doing the fighting is the Ukrainian um, civilians that are taking the toll from the rockets, the Ukrainian military who are dying in the front lines. So in that sense, we're not 
in the conflict. But the difficulty is that the more equipment and particularly high-end, high-tech um, offensive weaponry that the UK and others provide, the greater the stake we have in ensuring that we do not lose. And, and I suppose it begs the question, doesn't it, about is, is there a new world order being created because of this? Because, of course, not everybody in the international community was quick to condemn Russia and, uh, and there have been exactly. people manoeuvring perhaps to, um, if not support, but to certainly not condemn. I mean, are, you seeing, are we seeing a new world order or is that a bit too grand to say that? I don't think that we can say that we are seeing that now, but if we try and put ourselves into the shoes of President Putin, I think that's what he is looking to bring about. So there are a great number of countries um, in, across the world who have not voluntarily chosen to sanction Russia, uh, but are being, having to do so through persuasion. There are a number of countries who would like to not support either the West or Ukraine or Russia, but sit in some sort of position of neutrality, and Putin is looking to win those countries over. So what will be the position in the future of China in this? What will be the position of India? What will be the position of other countries in the uh, East Asia and in the Pacific um, who are being courted uh, by Putin? I think that he would like to create an alliance of countries that are skeptical, even hostile towards the West. And so we have a real danger here of alliances in the future being for, formed on ideological grounds rather than on shared interests as we had hoped in the past. And, and amongst all this manoeuvring you know, um, that we can see, where, where does the United Nations fit in? It's really disappointing, isn't it? We've seen so little um, on the part of the United Nations. They're doing a brilliant job in terms of managing some of the refugee flows and the um, aid support uh, and support for internally displaced. But in terms of their role um, in mediation, we haven't got to that stage yet. Uh, and they seem to be have been uh, impotent to a large extent. That's not surprising when you've got two um, one superpower um, and one aspiring superpower uh, uh, involved in a conflict. Um, but where might we be as the United Nations? I say we because of course the United Nations was formed as we the peoples. There's a sense in that they ought to be an organized form of the world conscience. Um, and yet they are very far from that uh, at the moment. So, is that creating a vacuum that's dangerous? I think it is. I think it's this interests uh, thing again. Um, how in, in the future can we reimagine how humanitarian principles might be guarded by an international body like the United Nations? How, I wonder, can we sort of reward governments for signing and keeping to treaties um, rather than discarding them? 
Uh, how can governments be recognised and rewarded for the contributions that they make to sustainable development goals, not only in their own country, which is their responsibility in any way, but in their region and through their influence. Um, this, these are all roles for the United Nations and for the people of the United Nations. Even Russia, even Putin can speak that language if you come to him with that and he wants to be seen for that type of reward. But uh, I mean, we, we've, we've heard his State of the Nation uh, address and in that he, he said that he was, well, they formally wasn't going to recognize the, is it the New START Treaty on Correct. Nuclear Weapons? So we, you mentioned about not, you know, about treaties not being kept. And I think in, through all of this and at different parts in the air, there's been this kind of threat about nuclear war. I mean, do you see his statement in, the, in his uh, State of the Nation address as being indicating there's more danger of nuclear war or is this sort of positioning on his behalf? This is a very, very um, new piece of news from yesterday, isn't it, that um, he is going to suspend the implementation of the New START Treaty. We can't implement the New START Treaty anyway, because that requires verification, that's the implementation part of it, and that's just not possible at the moment. So part of me wants to say, well, he's only just stating the obvious, um, and uh, I don't want to attach too great an import um, to that. Uh, but so many treaties have gone by the wayside and we need to reconstruct this moral and ethical um, language around the United Nations, around our cooperation of, as governments together, um, around the humanitarian movement to which we can all inspire, uh, aspire, not only in times of peace, but also during times of conflict. I mean, interesting you use that phrase, moral and ethical voice. And um, I mean, what, what is the role of us as churches? What are the role of those of us who see the world through spiritual eyes, through uh, moral eyes, through those ethical eyes? Um, very often we can feel this is a big issue. What can we do? Is there, is there anything you think that as churches and as individual Christians we should be doing as we go into the second year of this conflict? Um, obviously we need to pray and I find that difficult sometimes in this because the questions are so big um, and, and sometimes our prayers feel too small. Um, but we need to be bold to pray for um, a, a resolution. Um, we need to pray that movements of people um, through relig religious leaders, um, through other uh, civil leaders in the world, can speak a different language to the one that we hear in the media from uh, presidents, particularly from President Putin, sadly. People of faith, they have this capacity to come together on a global stage around COP summits, for example, around calls for arms control, around weapons of mass destruction. People of faith have got a really powerful voice when they do speak up, and they're heard because they are coming at this from a moral and ethical position. And that would be my hope, that we might, as a faith community, um, within each of our faiths and across the faiths, 
be able to come together to uh, offer us on the world stage um, a civil voice that says we need to sort this out, we need mechanisms for cooperation, whether that be the United Nations in its current form or a very different form. Um, it's not an optional uh, extra for our world, it is vital um, for all of us. And I think that we need that uh, ethical voice loud and clear, particularly at this time. Steve, thanks very much for taking this time to, to update us. And uh, of course, we, we, we recognise that the churches have done many things as well. And uh, the Homes for Ukraine scheme, there's been many people of faith who have taken in uh, people from Ukraine, given them a home and, and a place away from the conflict. And, and of course, as you said earlier on in this um, podcast, people are still leaving Ukraine. And so there's still a need for, for that hospitality to be, to be offered. Um, Thanks for listening to this podcast. Uh, it was with Steve Hucklesby, a policy advisor with the Joint Public Issues team, myself, Dave Hardman. And uh, if you want some more information about Ukraine uh, and about any of the other areas that JPIT uh, are working on, then uh, visit our website, which is jpit.uk.